Well, we are back in the book of James tonight, and I am so glad to be back in the book of James. Um, we had a phenomenal run with the Religious IQ. It was uh, record attendances, um, great, great feedback, great, great questions. Um, but we started back in August, if you can believe that, in the book of James, and doggone it, we're going to finish one of these days. Uh, this week and next week, we're right here, right back in the book of James. We're going to take a little break there for spring break uh, with the Chandler School Systems. Uh, and then we're going to get right back in through May. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn back up, to the, uh, open to the book of James. And we're going to land in chapter 3 tonight and pick up where we left off several weeks ago. As you're turning there, let me go ahead and uh, ask this question to get us started. And again, if this is your first or second time here, we have microphones right here at the bottom, and just raise your hand, and we'll get you a mic. So we, we all want to hear what you have to say. Question, comment, thought. And my question to begin tonight is this. When your time has come, when my time has come, if there's one word that you want to have said about you at the wake or funeral, and you can only pick one word, what do you want that word to be? And you can't use the word nice. You have one word that people can describe you as, and only one word. What would you want that word to be? Just, you can just shout them out. Love. love. She was a woman of love. I'm sorry? Passionate. He was passionate. He, she was a believer. Obedient. She was obedient. He was awesome. That guy was awesome. I love it. Yeah. What else? Grateful. Devoted. She was devoted. Christ-like. Forgiving, servant, humble, faithful. It's awesome. And yet we didn't get to the word I wanted to talk about tonight. James chapter 3. And the reason that I want to I throw this out for you to consider. That if you haven't passed on yet, that you would consider this word. And that is wise. That he or she was a wise person. She was imperfect. Boy, she made a lot of mistakes, but she was wise. Well, he was passionate about a lot of things and sometimes jumped in before he thought through things. But overall, he was a wise person. Why would I say that? Why, why would I recommend that out of all the words you could choose? Why would I recommend wise? I think it's found in James in this little tucked in verses 13 to 18. Because if according to James, you are a wise person then the things that we all mentioned will fall under that, will be assumed in that word. But if you take some of the words we just mentioned and have them stand alone, it still leaves us to wonder about some other areas of your life. But if we conclude based on what the Bible has to say about, well, she was a wise woman. And that person that attends your wake or funeral, knows what James is mentioning in terms of what a wise woman is, then they'll get the full picture of who you are or who you were. What does it mean to be wise? 
James picks it up in verse 13, and some of this may be review for some of us because back in chapter 1, James says, listen, if you're going through trials, if you're going through hardships, if, you're, if tough times are coming your way and you don't know how to deal with them, ask God. Ask God for wisdom. And by faith, trust that he will give it to you. And so we discussed back in September, I believe, this idea of wisdom. And so if you were back with us in September, a little bit maybe for review. But James really dives in, in verses 13 to 18, discussing this idea of good wisdom versus bad wisdom. Which maybe for some of us, we didn't even know there was a, a, another kind of wisdom. Uh, if we just say, well, that person's wise, we just assume certain things about their wisdom. But he goes in to describe really two types of wisdom. And really, and, and if I could expand it, maybe two types of people. He starts out in verse 13 by saying this. Who among you is wise and understanding? Can you grab my yellow pad right in that book right there? Yep, right there. Thank you. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior, uh, by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Um, what I thought would be helpful is just to unpack this by really giving us some definitions tonight of some of these key words that are found in this particular text, beginning with wisdom. Uh, he says, who among you is wise and understanding? Um, and so I wrote down some definitions, and these are um, borrowed from various sources and various people. Um, I think they're all credible, um, and so I guess you just have to trust me that these are credible sources. The, the first definition over here is properly and effectively applying truth to everyday life, and I'm going to say that that is the definition right here that we're going to use for wisdom. Properly and effectively applying truth to everyday life. And so if you were to be asked, well, what is wisdom? And maybe how is that different than knowledge? And we hear that comparison, though, often in the scriptures, wisdom and knowledge go hand in hand. Often they're tied together at the waist. We all recognize that knowledge would be more of an intellectual ascent, gaining some information about something. But wisdom would be the, the way to properly and effectively apply truth to everyday life. And the reason I want to key in on this, guys, is because if I can't get it past here, if I can't move it to here by way of just getting up and doing life every day, 
then this just becomes really just an, just an intellectual exercise for many of us. This has to drive into the way you get up and function every day. And not just the big issues of life, but the everyday issues of life. Do you have wisdom when you're making the everyday issues of life? Are you applying truth to the everyday choices you and I make? I got called, I don't know if, uh, I don't have it with me here. I got a summons in the mail. I got picked for jury duty. Forgot it was today. And apparently, if you don't show up, it's like big fines and you can't reschedule. And, and so I get to work. I teach over at Valley Christian High School and I get to work. I'm all prepped. I'm ready for the day. And I look on my little cork board and there's a little summons that says, you're doing court at eight o'clock at down, you know, downtown Maricopa Superior Court. And it's like 820. And you're supposed to get there a half hour early, you know, the whole deal. So I called the office. And I said, I got I to gotta go. I, I'm supposed to be there. So what I'll do is I'll just drive down there. I'll be late. I'll pay the fine. Whatever it is, I'll come back. So I said, fine, go. And so, so I'm on the I-10 going to downtown Phoenix about 820 in the morning. Well, you can imagine what that looks like. So I'm late. I'm trying to get somewhere. There's 5 million cars in between me and the destination. No one cares about my trials right here. And the HOV lane is right next to me. And the HOV lane is wide open. And the HOV lane is calling my name saying, you need to get to court. Like, it's not a bad reason. I wasn't going to a game or I was going to court because of my civil duties, which I was late for. And so I, I looked over and I thought, you know, and honest to goodness, like, I don't do that. I'm not one of those kind that just get in there. But I thought, this time I need to do it. And God, you'd understand. You want me at court. And so I was just, you know, I'm over in the left-hand lane. I'm thinking, I'm just, I'm right there. And it's just bumper to bumper all the way down. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach on wisdom tonight. I know it's wrong. I know what the law says. And I I know I shouldn't do it. And I know it's tempting. But you know what? I'm not going to do it. So I stayed in my lane, bit my tongue, paid my dues and just trugged along. And no kidding, a half mile up around the curve, a bike cop had pulled someone over in the HOV lane for being a solo rider in the HOV lane. And I drove past that person and I just thought, um, we all have choices to make. And when I'm not talking about big choices here, I'm talking about do I get in the HOV lane or don't I? Uh, prior to getting into the HOV lane or being tempted by that, I, I had a meeting at our school pertaining to one of our students that is struggling academically. And we all sat around the table and decided, how can we best minister to this kid that's just struggling to get it, that you can do all bunch of extracurricular things, but you've got to get the grades to do that. And you, how can we motivate him? Well, we need wisdom there. We weren't solving world issues. We were trying to minister to one child. But we asked God for wisdom, taking God's truth and applying it to everyday life. The unruly child that you don't know what to do with, you need wisdom. The, the neighbor that's asking you questions about her marriage, you need wisdom. The coworker that comes to you and says, well, should I take the new job or should I stay here? You need wisdom. Everyday situations. And so when we look at this issue of who is wise among you in understanding, please don't make it lofty tonight, folks. 
but get down to what do I do every day and how do the decisions affect those in my circles? Uh, yeah, comment or question? There's a study that the um, singles 50-plus group did that Andy Stanley put out, and it's called uh, The Most Important Question. Hmm. And, and the most important question is, is it wise? Not is it right or is it wrong? Yeah. Is it good or is it bad? Because wow. there are lots of choices that we sure. make in life that are good, but not wise. That's great. And so it's a filter to use and a question to ask when you're making those decisions. Absolutely. Very well said. If I were to ask you to do this exercise, and I think I did this back in September, but if you were to shut your eyes, that was uh, since you're going to shut your eyes right now, and if you were to shut your eyes and I were to say to you, just right off the top of your head, without explanation, think of someone right now in your life who is wise. Every one of you has an image of someone in your head right now who is wise. And my question is, why did you pick that person? And my guess is, you can open your eyes now, my guess is, is because the time that you've spent with him, characteristics that we're about to look at have come up in his or her life. What's interesting, though, is if I were to ask you the details of that person, we'd have different genders. I'm guessing we'd have different ages, different races, different socioeconomic demographics represented. And so when we talk about being wise to, to this great comment, we're not talking about someone who has to be in their 70s or 80s. We're talking about someone who is going to submit to what God's word has to say here, including this issue. It's not that I'm just, I just make good choices. And it's not even that I'm smart. It's somewhere along the road, gang, I've figured out I need to apply truth. To everyday life. I may not know much God. But I know and fill in the blank. I know this much about your word. And that's what I'm going to apply. To this decision. Your truth. Which leads us to the next definition. Which is. Whoever among you is wise. And understanding. Let him show by his good behavior. In the gentleness. Of wisdom. And then drop down to. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, and without hypocrisy. The words there, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom can also be understood as in the humility of wisdom. And so this definition here, I'm going to suggest, is one of humility. To accept what God commands... And to seek his help rather than rely on my own abilities. To live out a life of humility, guys, is not to live a life of woe is me and I'm a doormat. And, but rather it's to accept what God commands. I'm not going to fight you on this, God, my entire life. I'm going to accept it. I can question it. I can wrestle with it. 
But at the end of the day, you're God, I'm not. I accept what you command and I'm going to seek your help rather than rely on my own abilities. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 kind of play right in here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And so what we have here is we have a person that is living a life, not super intelligent necessarily, though they may be, not super rich, though they may be, not man or woman, though they have to be one, not young or old, but rather there's someone that is saying, God, I'm accepting as I learn here on Tuesday nights, on Sunday mornings, in my small groups, I'm accepting what your word has to say and not just accepting it, God, but I'm applying it to the way I live my life. Now, here's the beauty of this. Others see this. And the minute I feel like I'm falling short, the minute I notice the sin creeping up in my life, the minute I notice the imperfection surfacing, I start to doubt if I'm actually being wise about the choices I'm making. And guys, I'm here to tell you, the minute you start applying this to your life, the minute you live an air of humility and you're making wise choices, you're going to notice the mistakes you make in life. They're going to surface in a way that the enemy wants to expose you to the fact that you're not perfect. And I need to, I need to encourage you tonight. Keep making good choices. Keep living out the commands which God has and seek his help rather than rely on your own. You will, we have a, we have a, a, a tremendous ability to magnify our own sin and I want to encourage us all, those around us are seeing the wise choices we're making. And so the question is, how does, it, how does it show up in someone's life? If you're on this side of the ledger right here, I mean, how do you really know if someone's on this side of the ledger, according to James? And he says, this is how it's going to show up. You're going to find this person is living these characteristics out. Peace-loving, gentle, yielding to others, full of mercy, good deeds, not playing favorites. They're sincere. You're going to find those characteristics in a wise person who is understanding. If someone gives you advice, you go to a neighbor or coworker or boss or employee or son or daughter or parent, and you ask them for advice. And then you want to know, is their advice good? Is it wise advice? I would challenge you with this. Did you ask this kind of person for the advice? Notice what's not up here, by the way. What's missing from this list? What did James leave out? Superior intellect, I don't see anywhere on here. Massive amount of wealth. Has to be in a leadership position. I don't see that up here. Now, can those things be up here? Absolutely. But they're not mandatory. So I would suggest this. When you're looking to make a good decision, and Proverbs is clear, seek wise counsel before you make a big decision... Guys, look for someone that carries these characteristics. And then you're almost assured that the, that the advice they give you 
is wise advice. Not guaranteed, but it's wise. And you need to take hold of it. When you pass on, when I pass on, what do I want others to say about me? I would love for them to say he was a wise person. Because if, they know, if they're worth their salt in terms of knowing God's word, what they're really saying is he, he was kind of this guy right here. Boy, that would be a tribute. One terribly smart. Broke a lot of his kids' bones when they were wrestling. Made a lot of weird choices. But overall, yeah, he did this. She did this. That's wisdom. I was, uh, I was at this jury thing and, um, and uh, went and got my shoes shined at lunch. Because I thought I'm in downtown Phoenix. What else should you do? Go get your shoes shined. And so I did. And the guy that shot my shoes started talking. We started chatting. And he said, well, what are you doing tonight? I said, well, I got to go teach this Bible study tonight. And he happened to be a fellow believer. So we started talking about. I said, you know what? Actually, I'm praying right now during lunchtime. I'm praying for wisdom because I got to go talk on wisdom tonight. And he said, amen, brother. And we started talking about his life and my life and how you know, wisdom applies to all of it. And he said, without me telling him what verse I'm speaking on, he said, and whomever is wise among you in understanding. And I said, you know, that's the exact verse I'm teaching on tonight. And he said, you know why I love that verse, Greg? And I said, why, Carl? And he said, because, because of the understanding part. He said, wise people have, an, have, a, have a way of understanding the situation. It's not just the fact that I've got knowledge about a situation, but it's that I understand the situation that someone's in. It's not that I want to just promote my advice to someone, but I want to first get to know why they're in the situation and the, the aspects surrounding the situation before I just launch into my two cents. Whoever is wise among you and understanding. And I thought, well, I'm glad our paths crossed tonight. I really am. So I would ask you tonight, as I've asked myself all week, is this characteristic of your life right now? And the reason, guys, this is critical is because of the contrast what James makes right here. It would be one thing if James said, you know, if you're not here, that's okay. Because this is all there is and you'll eventually get there and so don't worry about it. But James makes an appeal to you and to me in verses 14 and 15. He says, but. So you got this person over here. Okay, we get it. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from down above, but is earthly and natural and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. See, James says, guys, that that wisdom is rather, it's not an end, but rather a vehicle. It's a means to an end. And so you have over here two definitions Uh, one we're going to say is bitter jealousy. So I'm going to put either envy or jealousy right here. And that's this. A harsh, resentful attitude toward others. 
And then he says, twice actually he says, but if you have bitter, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be, don't, be, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. And then verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition, which is this definition right here, which is the attitude which causes strife. He says, if there is this kind of person living, you need to know that the advice they give, he says in verse 15, is not from above, but rather is earthly and natural and demonic. He says it's earthly. In other words, it's the wisdom that they're giving is bound to this earth. It has nothing to do with God from above. It's natural, meaning that it's the best they can offer in their own humanness. And guys, at the bottom line, at the, at the end of the day, James says, quite honestly, if I can just be as, as adult with you as possible, it's from Satan himself. It's demonic, this kind of wisdom. And he says, for where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder. In other words, there's instability and chaos and every evil thing. Now, as I was reading that, I was thinking to myself, in, in the day and age we live in, what causes somebody, what causes someone to be envious or jealous or to have selfish ambition? What do you think? What causes us to have or to live a life that that shows up more times than not? Jealousy or envy or selfish ambition, where we have harsh, resentful attitude towards others, where we, we have an attitude that causes strife and dissension amongst the people we love. Why do we do that? Well, it actually answers that in James 4.1. Which is? Why do you have quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within <clears throat> you? You want something, but you don't get it. And so he echoes what we're saying here. But again, I, I want to go to the origin. Why do we do that? Selfish ambition. But why do we have selfish ambition? Because we look are Look at the fallen. other side. We are a fallen nature. Yeah, but look at all of these good things that can happen. What is it about our society, our culture... That, 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 that at least opens the door for us to move into and reside in jealousy and envy and selfish ambition. Yeah. Oh, one back here and then right here. Our own sin nature. Yeah. But here's the deal with our sin nature. Because I, I, you're right. Okay. So you're right. But I think sometimes we, we say that as if. We don't have any choice. Yeah, like it's our, well, it's just my sin nature. Yeah, but you can do these things. So why do we, why do we often, I, I, I would argue, default to here? Uh, yeah, here and then back here. We're relying on ourselves instead of on God. Okay, so this definitely comes into play. We rely on our own abilities Absolutely. Back here and then right here. Our society rewards um, self-ambition right now. Do you have any examples of that? Because I wholeheartedly agree. 
anyone? Because you're exactly right. But just to highlight that fact, because I had that written down as well. I'll, I'll give you an example real quick here. Go ahead. Well, it's a choice we're making. It is a choice we're making. Yes, I... Ugh. I just, I don't want to make it that easy, though. It is, it's a choice we're making. And the reason I don't want to make it easy, guys, is because of the, uh, is because of the result of being envious and jealous and having selfish ambition. It's not, it's not, um, it's not on an even playing field here. In other words, the consequences of living this kind of life and giving people advice in this state of mind and living out these characteristics, I believe is so much far more destructive when he says instability and chaos here or disorder and evil of every kind. I really don't think we've even tapped into the evil of every kind that, that is a result of People who live like this. We think that this is, well, she just got jealous, or well, he's just envious, or well, they're just demonstrating selfish ambition, but it goes way, way beyond that. Um, so we're in this, we're, they're selecting jurors today, right? And I can't talk about the case, but one of the questions that they asked all the jury members, and they asked like 25 or 30 questions, right? Those of you who've been in. These, these situations. And one of the questions was, there were 60 of us, I believe. Um, have, have you ever, you or a close family member or, you know, uh, have you ever been associated with um, any kind of abuse, sexual abuse or anything like that? And guys, out of 59 jurors, I believe, I want to say, you know, you raise your little number. I want to say 18 or 19 raise their number. Out of 59. And when, when the judge kind of went around the room and said, well, can you, I need to, you know, you need to kind of explain that a little bit. And they started telling their stories. Um, is that's a result of this. And this. That's a result of, of, of self. Yeah, it's, it's. It's a reason, and we can we can fill in the word sin or sin nature or choice or, but it's destruction. And you could have heard a pin room uh, drop in this room. It was heartbreaking. That 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 twenty percent or so have a story, and and maybe if I did the same thing in here, maybe that number would be about that. That's not a re, that's not as a result of this. That's as a result of this, that I, I want something and I'm going to go get it, no matter the cost. There's a comment or question back here, yeah. I've discovered that when I'm acting out of those kinds of jealousy and envy and bitterness in particular, it's because of unresolved hurt in my own life. And it, that's pretty much what you just touched on. All those people that raise their hands, they've got unresolved pain and hurt from their past and uh, hurt people hurt people. And you can see how, how the act of someone else can cause... And, and again, let me make it clear. I'm responsible for my own actions. 
no matter the situation I may have been in or find myself currently in, I'm still responsible for my own actions. But you can see in a society riddled with these kinds of events how easy it is for someone to live a life that results. It makes it much more difficult to do this, to yield to others and to serve others and to be peacemakers and peace lovers when we've had so much garbage take place in our own lives. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I didn't, uh, my battery failed me here. Um, And I think I mentioned this in in September, Um, but if you just, if you just Google pornography statistics, the very first hit you'll get is like national statistics or something. And again, if, if anyone's got a charger, I'd love it. Um, and, and so if, and if you scroll down this list here of pornography statistics, you'll see global and blah, blah, blah. And then you get to national and then you get to cities. We're fourth on the list. Chandler, Arizona. Out of all the cities in the U.S., we're four. And again, this was in 2005 and six, and so take that for what it's worth. But we're four. Now, I don't know much, guys, but I know that there are a lot of cities in this country. Um, And unless revival has swept through this city in the past seven years, I'd, I'd... we probably haven't dropped or gained maybe a spot or two. Something's happening in our very city, in our very backyard, where people are more concerned about self than they are about yielding to others and to accept what God commands and to apply the truth in everyday life. That when I'm tempted to get on the internet, I'm tempted to get on my phone or tempted to get on my tablet, I simply don't. Not because I'm brilliant, not because I'm... I'm full of money, not because I'm old or young, not because I'm male or female. It's because I'm taking God's truth and I'm applying it to that situation. I'm not justifying my sin nature. I'm not justifying, well, everyone's doing it. I'm not justifying, well, no one's home. I'm simply making a choice and I'm going to argue tonight it's the right choice because that's the definition of wisdom. As opposed to what James clearly says, this. Well, I don't like the way my wife wife treated me, so I'm going to do this to to get back at her. Well, I don't like the way my husband treated me, and or I see this other couple over here, and they seem to be so in love with each other, and that causes me to hate my husband more because he's not loving me the way he should be. And therefore, I'm going to start seeking love elsewhere and on and on and on. And guys, it's not just about you. It's not just about me. It causes disorder and chaos in the family unit. It just does. We all know that. We're swimming in it right now. We're we're, we're drowning in it. And I'm going to argue tonight, it's it's not rocket science. It's wisdom, heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom culture is going to say you can't help it you're gonna do it so just go do it if you don't love them then get out if you don't want to be a part of this then leave if the job gets too tough then look elsewhere i i saw this thing listen to this compiled by mtv last october in their relevant magazine 
50%, the percentage of millennials who would rather have no job than a job they hate. 50% of 18 to 30, uh, what is it, 35-year-olds? What's the millennial age? 18 to late 20s would rather have no job than a job they don't want to go to. Are you kidding me? Half of the people they surveyed, look at the, look at the economy we're in, look at 24 million people out of work, struggling to pay bills every month, and somehow they're entitled to think, I would rather not have a job than go to a job I don't want to go to. It, it, we live in a land of entitlement that simply says, if you don't like it, listen, life is about you. That's earthly wisdom. And again, as bold as I can say it tonight, that's demonic wisdom. And yet, you know, I got to sit back sometimes, guys, and I got to ask the question, I got a 13, 9, and, and 7-year-old at home, am I enabling them? To feel entitled. I was, uh, my girlfriend and I were talking the other night because the kids were fighting over who gets to play the Xbox. And so she said this, we need to get them each a television. And there's five of them. And I wanted to shoot myself. Because for a second I thought, you know, you're right. So, and, and, don't think you're far off from this, okay? So I'll get you up here on stage. They open up their Christmas gifts, Christmas, you know, five TVs, right? Like, would that be so unheard of in our culture today? And the reason she said that was because I'm sick of the fighting up there of who gets to play and we got to manage the time and stuff. So here's the easy out. Just get them all a TV. So that when they get surveyed... They can say, yeah, well, until I get a job I love at 18 years old, because that's the job we all had, right? We all had a job we just loved when we were 18. No, we went out and said, I, I hate going to Safeway or Baskin Robbins or Flippin' Burgers or wherever, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because I got to pay a bill. I got car payments or rent. But half of them surveyed said, no, I'd rather not have any job than go to a job I don't like. I think that's one of our issues today. I think another one real closely is, I think there's a, there's a level of insecurity about us. I think there's a level of insecurity that is pervasive in our society that causes or at least opens the door for me to look around and say, I want my life to be like that. And because it's not, I'm resenting that person. I'm jealous of that person. And until I get that, I will continue to be jealous and have selfish ambition. Resentment or insecurities and, and maybe entitlement. And, and I'm sure there are others. Yeah, there's, you had your hand up for a long time. I'm sorry. How you doing? Um, is there another definition you could use besides envy or jealousy? Not in this. What it says is, there, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, and in some, ver in some versions, it says if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition. And then back down in 16, 
he repeats the same two words, but he uses jealousy clearly here. For where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, where they exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So I'm just trying to stick with what James suggests here. Sure. No, I'm just looking at it definitively, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, what if you have harsh resentful attitudes towards others and has nothing to do with envy or jealousy? There's For instance? Clearly, well, I mean, I think just in general, depending on all of us and how we interact with people and, yeah. and various moves like that we go through or, or, or whatever, or just, you know, hurry up get this taken care of for me or I'm in a hurry or whatever probably doesn't have much to do with envy or jealousy in those kinds of situations. Yeah, maybe. Um, these are the, certainly the definitions that I found to be most trusted. Um, but yes, could I be, could I have a resentful attitude toward other, not be jealous of them? I guess. Um, but the result's going to be the same, which is, which is this. If, if I get, if, if, if I have a wrathful attitude towards you, what am I suggesting about my relationship with you? And so what I, well, however you want to answer that question, I can guarantee you it's not this. I'm not going to have a wrathful or vengeful attitude towards you or harsh or resentful attitude towards you and be real willing to serve you in the same breath. To be real willing to be a peacemaker in the same breath. To be gentle in the same breath. Absolutely not. I'm thinking of all the ways I can damage you. Uh, and there are several. Uh, it's, it's, it really, it, I don't know guys, I was at this court today and I just looked around and thought, it, this is where we're at today as a society. You don't like someone, sue them. Uh, and that's, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, I, you know, I'm, I resent you. I don't have to physically hurt you. I'll just financially kill you and your family. And well, that's, the, that's the exact opposite of this. The exact opposite. In fact, when we looked at James 1, 2, and 3, guys, you'll remember what James says in 1, in the back half of 1, and then into 2. He says in 1, um, who are we to look out for? Who are we to care for? What is pure and undefiled religion? To care for widows and orphans. And then he says in verse 2, if you have someone in there that comes to these doors that, that doesn't have two nickels to rub together, and then you have someone coming over here that's worth seven figures, you treat them both the same. You show no favoritism. This person has such a better chance of doing that than this person. And in fact, let me just say this, the primary audience James is speaking to in James chapter 3 is church leaders. And so he's speaking primarily to church leaders saying, you cannot have an attitude of favoritism when you run a church. You cannot have an attitude of resentment and selfish ambition when you're leading a congregation, but rather contrasting with can you imagine a pastor or a staff team that lived like this? We'd flock to those churches. And, and I, I honestly believe many of the staff here at Cornerstone, those whom I know anyway, because I don't know all the staff here, represent the, the person on, the right, on, the, on your right there. That's whom you're looking for. Now, James makes the bigger application to you and to me, the non-church leaders. And he says the same thing applies. 
to you and to me. It's a clear-cut contrast. There's no middle ground here, is what I think James is suggesting. Comment back here, and then here, and then I want to give you some application. Yeah. Hey, Greg, I was, I was just looking at, um, in regards to uh, earthly wisdom. Yeah. I had uh, read a uh, bumper sticker on the back of someone's car, and it said, uh, the one with the most toys at the end wins. And uh, I think society, that we're just bombarded every day with advertising yeah. and billboards and, you know, get it now, buy now, pay later, those, those type of things. Uh, you deserve it. And so, you know, you should get it. And I think when that's where the jealousy comes in, it's like, you know, so-and-so, my next-door neighbor's got it. Why can't I get it? I deserve it. And so it just builds on that, you know, a bigger house, a better car. And then, but if you don't pray about it and put God and seek God's wisdom and all of that, then I think people find themselves in a big mess and they don't realize how to get out of it. So it just causes all kinds of trouble. (coughs) You're exactly right. Right? And I will add this. If your motivation is jealousy or envy or selfish ambition, you can pray about all you want. And the answer is going to be no every time. Because God is not going to say, well, I know what your heart is. Your heart is to to keep up with the Joneses or your heart is to get ahead of the Joneses or your heart is to downplay them and, and exalt you. But because you prayed about it, I'll bless you with it. Thank you for praying. I appreciate you including me in this decision. He's never going to do that ever. And yet, guys, I would argue in, in Western culture, especially with larger churches, we can run, we can be very tempted to get into that mess. Well, God wants us to build bigger and better. Maybe he does, but maybe he doesn't. If you don't think that churches struggle with being envy and jealous, you haven't been around churches too long. I had a church back in the late 90s, a little 125 little person church. Marty was a part of it. Chris was a part of it. And they can tell you, we met just across the street. In fact, I shared office space with Cornerstone right up on Alma School and and Chandler for a couple years. And we started with nothing and they started with nothing. And God was blessing Cornerstone leaps and bounds. And God was teaching us some great lessons. And we launched with... 150, I don't know, 130, 100 and something. And we just, I would watch, guys, I'd drive up down the street every Sunday morning. And I'd watch Cornerstone grow and grow and grow and grow. And I would sit outside and wait for our service to begin and literally count the cars coming in our parking lot. And every Sunday, and true confessions, every Sunday, I was, the 15 minutes before the service started, I was racked with stress and anxiety and, and, and I guess if I'm being truthful, envy and jealousy. Saying things like this, God, why can't they share? We'll just take like 20 more cars, God, please. I'm not asking for a lot. And so if you don't think that happens at a church level, boy, Stick around for a little while. It becomes a numbers game quickly. It takes so much for church leaders to get out of this and into this. But when they do, then they lead effectively and it trickles down to you and to me. 
And then they, they say to you and to me, hey, listen, we really don't, we honestly don't care. It's not a numbers game to us. We want to pay our rent, but it's about disciples and it's about baptisms and it's about salvations. And so if God's going to grow this church because we had 500 new baptisms, glory be to God. Let's build a bigger building. But the minute I hear something about, well, they're building a a bigger building, so therefore we need to, that's when it's time to pack up. And I've yet to hear that here. I, I don't think I'd ever hear that here. And so, so check yourself because that's what we're asking our leaders to do, but that's what they're asking us to do. That's what James is asking you and me to do. And so your point is well taken. It's so easy to look over the yard and see what's, what's being built next door. Yeah, here and then. And let me give you some application real quick. I just wanted to mention that um, I know you were saying earlier that this is the verbiage that's in the passages, but one word that's missing for me up there is fear. And fear has kept me on the left-hand side of the um, whiteboard for many years. And yeah. it took some people on the right-hand side to allow me to kind of move past that fear, past my jealousy and envy and harshness, harsh is a very good word, over starting on the right-hand side at least. And you might be asking fear of what? That I wouldn't be accepted for the man that I was. Oh, over here? Yeah. Okay. So if, if you knew enough about me, you would turn your back on me. And I think that a lot of people in that position turn to envy and jealousy because it's so easy as opposed to the, the tough road yeah. that, that would be ahead of you if you were to try <laughs> and get over to the right-hand side. And Absolutely. I just think, as Christians, if you've had that done for you, you should help others to make that move left to right. I just think it's something that we don't necessarily talk about. You're either left or right, but the place in the middle is where we need to meet Yeah, how do, you get, how do you get over here, right? Um, and I'll agree that if you look at these words here, guys, to do all of these things takes a high degree of self-esteem and self-confidence, a high degree, because you're going to make decisions that family members will challenge, coworkers will challenge, neighbors are going to challenge, and you need to stand firm in those decisions. And that's going to take someone that is okay with them in the Lord. This person over here, as I mentioned before, I think they have a high degree of insecurity or fear. So the, what I put up here, though, because what I had down was how... Do, so, so let's say I'm in the middle or I'm somewhere over here. How do I get... God, I want to be over here. I hear you. I want to get over here. How do I do it? Just a couple quick points and then we'll call it a night. I think the first is this, guys. I honestly think this. I think we're missing this in the church a lot today. I think you have to have a fear of God. I think we're missing a fear of God in our church today. Um, take your Bibles, turn, to, get out of James for just a moment. Go to Proverbs. Let's just spend a couple moments in Proverbs. Proverbs, the middle of your Bible, wisdom literature, Proverbs chapter 9. Okay, so Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, I think is a great verse, and there's a couple others that speak to this as well. Proverbs 9, cha- uh, chapter 9, verse 10 says... <coughs> Excuse me, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I think it all starts right there. I I don't think much of this happens, to be honest with you, if I don't have a proper understanding of who I am and who God is. 
um, God doesn't need you. He's invited you on this journey. He's asked you to be a part of his family. Uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't ask, he doesn't invite because he needs you to be a part of his family. He is 100% God whether you obey him or not. He doesn't change one bit whether I'm more faithful today or less faithful tomorrow. Uh, in fact, if you want, we don't have the time, but if you want some good verses, Isaiah 40, uh, verses 13 to 15, speak to God's majesty. And they speak to his sovereignty. And they speak to this issue of God uh, viewing his inhabitants like grasshoppers upon the earth. And the earth is his footstool. I love, I love, I love the, the videos. And when we get the, the Hubble telescope now projecting how big this universe really is. Because it simply just magnifies how big God is. And guys, when we, when, we, when we read the Old Testament, and maybe some of us are in that read through the Bible through a year thing, and I've been getting some great emails from you asking, like, what version and how should I do it? And, and that's great. And so, so if you're doing that, you're probably in Exodus or Leviticus, and you're seeing how big God is, how powerful he is. He's not to be trifled with. And that song we sang that Brian led us in, uh, you know, that God is a friend of ours, um, it's not because we have anything to offer by way of he needs me, but God chooses to be your friend. Just like he chooses to be your father, just like he has chosen to be your God. So I got to ask, I guess, tonight, do you have a healthy fear of God? Does that ever cross your mind when you're about to step over into sin? That this would displease a holy, just God. And it is well within his right to discipline me should I carry out this sin or this habit or this thing that's just, that just got me crazy over here. That is it within God's right to discipline me, to make it public, to take away a blessing, to, to expose that particular sin? Is that within his right? Absolutely. He doesn't stop being good. He doesn't stop being loving. But sometimes I think we really bank on, well, God, you owe me forgiveness and you owe me grace and you owe me mercy. And what we mean by that is, therefore, my sin stays mine and no one knows about it. And that's just the way it's going to be, God. And we have this contract. And I'm here to, to gently expose the fact that God is not bound by anything like that. Yes, he forgives you. Yes, he has mercy. Yes, his grace abounds. And yes, he is just and holy. And he will do what he deems best. And sometimes for some of us, that's exposing that sin to a spouse or a child or a coworker or a neighbor. So before I go down this path of God and I are just buddies, step back and recognize who we're talking about here. So I think the first step is a fear of God. I think the second step or a second part of this is, are you letting the Holy Spirit control you? Just jump over to the New Testament and uh, let's, go to, um, let's go to Romans 8 real quick. Jump over there. Go to Romans 8 real quick. Am I letting the Holy Spirit control me? Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans 8. And let's pick it up in verse 5 of chapter 8. 
um, verse 5 of chapter 8. Do I fear God and do I allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do? For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. (coughs) But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God... For it does not subject itself to the law, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He says this, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now marry that with Galatians chapter 5, where Paul contrasts the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit. And if you do that, I want to just highlight this real quickly. He says, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now listen to this. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. Those who practice such things do not have or will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You see this over and over and over again in the Scriptures. And so I would ask this then. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Are you allowing yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit? So I, I, would, I would argue that these are a couple of steps, and here's the third one then. The third one is, and this gets really complicated here, so track with me now. Are you reading your Bible? I think that's the third step. And guys, I've been doing this for, I don't know, close to 20 years now. And I always thought there'd be a day where I'd get tired of telling people these kinds of things. Fear God. Let the Holy Spirit control you. Be led by the Spirit and read your Bible. I thought, God, there's got to be more to it than that. It's got to be more complicated. There's got to be more steps. There's got to be more things for me to do. Because these are checks. I can just check these things off. 20 years later, I'm here before you tonight to offer that I don't know there's much more. Fear God. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Read your Bible. I think if we do those things, guys, that's going to show up in your life more times than not. I don't think, this isn't a fear issue. Gosh, I hope I'm over here. This is an issue of me having a conversation with God saying, I've seen the destruction that this causes, this kind of wisdom. I work for someone that gives me this wisdom. I've got a neighbor that gives me this wisdom. Quite honestly, guys, and God forbid, I've got a spouse that gives me this kind of wisdom. I've seen the destruction, God. You don't have to sell me on this is chaotic and disorderly. I want this. Uh, Quite honestly, God, I'm tired of being around this. I want this. Fear God. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Be passionate. Love God's word. Um, I'm not sure we can go go much further than that. Okay, let me close with this then. Oswald Chambers said, 
The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Words to close on. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. And God, we don't deserve, many of us, myself included, we don't deserve another day. We could line up all of the sins. And and God, I don't want to do that tonight. I want to bask in your grace and your forgiveness. Father, I want to rejoice in what happened on the cross. Because God, my sins were paid for. And I have choices to make every day as do these wonderful people here tonight. Too many times, God, as I've read James over and over again now, I've made some very earthly, wisdom-filled choices. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry, God, for those times where my selfish ambition, (coughs) where my jealousy, where my envy has gotten the best of me. And God, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I want to, in the everyday choices, be someone that's known as peacemaking and gentle and loving and that reads God's word and applies it to his life. And I want my kids to see that, Father. I want people around me to see that. and Not because I want to be exalted, God, but because I want their lives to be blessed. And so, God, I pray that if there's someone here tonight that is just, just in that in that state, maybe a fear, as was mentioned, maybe, maybe they feel entitled to make selfish decisions, maybe, maybe they just don't know you well enough. God, I pray that you would just draw them to yourself tonight. Father, that we would have a deep, deep love for your word, and, and I enjoy every Tuesday night because I'm reminded once again how many people love you and love your word. May we leave here tonight, Father, more excited to learn about this wonderful person we call God and that we'll spend forever with. And God, may you bring us back next week to just dive in one more time. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next Tuesday.